Hi, this is Day for Night with Karidad Switch, a series that looks at the intersection between theater and poetry, and the Agilins, and the wilderness. In today's episode, I'm going to read from a play of mine called Upon the Fragile Shore, which was published by Intellect Books in Bristol, England, but there's also a single edition that you can find on I think most online retailers, uh, certainly the more likely ones. Uh, uh, The play, which I read from last season, uh, maybe early in the season, um, is composed of a sequence of monologues, duets, trios, quartets, uh, traversing multiple countries and continents, but ideally played by a cast of, uh, a small cast, so that they're embodying, in a way, embodying the spirits of all these voices and characters. Uh, The monologue I'm going to read now is from the third movement. The piece is composed of four movements. And this is um, a figure in Ein Tarma, three miles east of Damascus in Syria, in mid-March 2014. It was 10 months ago, about 2.30 in the morning. I couldn't sleep. I have always been a bad sleeper. Restless, my auntie used to say. I went to the kitchen to make some tea. The house was quiet. It was unusual to have quiet. Here in Damascus, we have not had quiet for a long time. It was still dark out. I stood in the kitchen and looked out the window. I was looking at the tree just outside in view of the mosque. It seemed to glow, which I thought was strange, but in its own way beautiful. My auntie used to talk about wishing trees and how they'd glow. I started to think if this was one of them and what I'd like to wish for. When all of a sudden I saw a man walking down the street near the mosque. He was uh, tearing at his clothes. He couldn't breathe. Behind him in the distance there was a woman. She simply fell straight to the ground as if she'd been struck by an invisible monster. Behind her, a bit further, there was a child in pajamas clutching a stuffed toy. The child trembled erratically with odd, convulsive gestures before he, too, fell to the ground. What's happening? Why is everyone? Mere seconds later, the whole area was shelled. Rockets with gas burst through everything. The street smelled like burning sulfur and eggs cooking. There was smoke everywhere. Odd, murky smoke. Not white at all. A few seconds after that, there was more shelling, missiles and mortars this time. And then, empty houses. People shivering, turning yellow. Others spilling white foam from their mouths. Children lying on the hospital floor. Their bodies blue, hard as stone. The doctor said, 
to wash people's faces and hands with water to try to revive them. Put vinegar on a cloth and hold it up to their noses, keep them breathing. But as much as we tried, many, most of my friends, neighbors, family were gone. The water and vinegar were of little use. They died from a gas, a chemical agent called sarin. Nearly 1,400 died in one day between this side of Damascus and further west. In our village alone, there were 600 dead. I would have been struck by this invisible monster too, but somehow it spared me. You see, the air, the air took the gas to the opposite direction. The wind saved me. I do not know if I should feel grateful to the wind. I do not know when I look at that tree outside of the window that used to be my house, if there are any wishes left me now, all these months later. I do not know anything except I will not sleep. I cannot sleep as I watch the dark of morning turn to light. And that's from Upon the Fragile Shore. And to round off today's episode, I'm going to read from a wonderful play by Alistair McDowell called Pomona, which uh, premiered in 2014 uh, and became an instant sort of uh, hit. <laughs> it was a hit. Uh, it still is a hit. Um, very hard play to describe, but it's uh, sort of a genre mashup. Uh, sci-fi, horror, um, but really not. Uh, using kind of genre tropes to talk about other things in the world. So kind of as a gateway to talk about other things. Most of them to do with class, and most of them to do with dispossession. The play opens with a monologue <coughs> by a character named Zeppo. Uh, Zeppo is a male. They're eating chicken McNuggets. I think that's all you need to know, because it is the opening. Oh, you should know that it's 3.24 a.m. Uh, they're on the M60 Ring Road. And a car is circling the city and Zeppo is driving. So it's a driving monologue. And they're speaking to someone named Ollie, uh, who is female. Nazis take him into this cave, like a basin or something, a basin of the rock, and they have the ark sat there all gold and shiny, and they're all sat in these folding chairs. I don't know where they got them from. They must just travel with them. And they have this priest guy to open it, and the sweaty dude with the coat hanger, he's there, and Belloc's there. And Indy and Marion are, like, tied to this pole in the back. And then the priest opens the ark, and this dust sprays out, and it's all mysterious. And the Nazis are all leaning in, trying to see what's going on. But it's just sand. Like, it's just sand in there, and they look gutted. Like, can't believe how many people died for this, and it's just sand? 
We've been carrying this fucking box the whole way, and it's just sand. We could have dumped this out miles back. So, coat hanger guys just starts laughing, and the Nazis are looking at Belloc like, you totally led us astray here. But then, just when you think that's it, the whole sky turns black, and there's all this thunder, and Indy gets this bad feeling, because all these crowds are brewing and shit. So he says to Marion, like, don't look at it, you know, like, keep your eyes shut no matter what, because it's all going to kick off. So they shut their eyes. And all goes quiet for a bit. And it's all tense. But then suddenly, all these blue ghosts start coming out of the ark, like weird, kind of light ghosts. And they start floating around. And the Nazis are loving it. They're all like, it's beautiful. And it's all mystical and nice. But then one guy's looking at a ghost thing. And it turns from like a happy ghost thing into a nasty fucking ghost thing. And it pulls this face, kind of like in Ghostbusters. And then... All the ghosts turn bad, and they start zapping all the hearts of the Nazis and just killing them. And the goat hanger man is screaming, and the priest, or the head Nazi, I can't remember, his head just fucking explodes, like, and this is a PG. His head just explodes, and the coat hanger guy's head melts. And all the Nazis are just getting fucking shanked by these ghosts, because they're like the ghosts of God, you know? And once everyone's dead... This big dust cloud thing flies up and then sucks the lid back on and it's over. It's all silent. And Indy's like, we're all right, don't worry, it's over now. And then later, it cuts to, like, Indy back in America and he's back in his professor suit and he's meeting with all these corporate guys and he's pissed because he's like, you've got to destroy this arc. I saw a load of blue ghosts come out of it and make dudes' heads explode. And they're just like, don't worry about that. Your job's done. Leave us to deal with it. Marion's like, chill, Indy. You've done all you can. And you think, what's going to happen to the Ark? But then it cuts to this guy, like a janitor guy, wheeling the Ark in a big box into this warehouse. And you can see in the warehouse that there's like millions of boxes. And this will just be another one. And probably everyone will forget it's even there. So it's kind of a happy ending. But it also makes you think, like, what's in those other boxes, you know? So it's kind of a mysterious ending. That's the opening of Alistair McDowell's Pomona, published by Bloomsbury, Matthew and Drama. If you don't know it, check it out. And as always, this is about you and I in this theater, you there in the dark. And I hear wondering who you are. Thanks for listening. Day for night.